Well, greetings, New Hope Church. It is so good to be with all of you here today as we gather to worship this Jesus. Is he not worthy of our worship and praise? He is really good. This great and awesome God that we have that we get to come before and cry out together as one community. And I just am so thankful that I get to be part of a community that believes Jesus is worth worshiping and that we can come in here and sing together and encourage each other and, and spend time together in the scriptures, but also just to fellowship with one another as we uh, grow together, as we reach out, as we just give all of our lives to this great and glorious King Jesus. My name is Matthew, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if by chance you are a guest here today, perhaps you're visiting for the very first time, we're delighted that you're with us. We're so excited that you're here. And uh, I want to mention to you that right after this gathering just down the hall uh, near our uh, front entrance, we have uh, a brief uh, reception for those of you who are guests. It's an opportunity to visit with some elders. Uh, I'll be there as well. And uh, we would love just to be able to interact with you a little bit, hear some of your story and encourage you, pray for you any way we can. Uh, we'd really like that. If you give us that chance, that would be great. That would be just terrific. And listen, if you're joining us as part of our online community, welcome to New Hope Church right here in the Minneapolis area. We're delighted to connect with you. And we don't take for granted at all that uh, wherever you are right now, you're joining us here as together we worship Jesus and uh, we spend time in this love letter called the Bible. And I'm so grateful. Uh, we're so grateful we can connect with you. So thank you for being here with us. Hey, did you know in the year... 2023 through the ministries of New Hope Church right here in our community, 79 people have called on Jesus for salvation. Is that not good news? That is really, really good news. I am so thankful. We have so much to give God glory for. And I, I don't want us to miss uh, those details. They, they, they matter. Uh, lives are being changed. The Holy Spirit is moving. God is on the work, and I'm so thankful for that. It's with that in mind that even in these next few short weeks, we want to talk about what it is just to keep moving, to move toward Jesus, to move toward our community, uh, to be a people that are indeed growing together as a community, a people that are, are, are reaching out to uh, the people that are around us, our neighbors far and wide, those who are close by and those who are even around the world. And uh, to be a people who have a posture of, hey, we're given all for Jesus. Everything's for Jesus. Jesus is worth that, right? And so we want to be a people that spend time to understand what does it mean to uh, live that kind of life. And uh, a key to living that kind of life, a key to that is to deal with some practical challenges that can come our way. We're going to do that in a moment, talking about a word that we all love. Ready? Here's that word. Ready? Tension. You hear the word dentist and you think tension. Uh, you, you hear the word uh, homework and you think tension. You hear, you hear the word election and you think tension. Uh, you hear the word Vikings and you think tension. I mean, so, so I mean, you, you know, we're, we're going to talk about this. It's important. And uh, I'll explain why in a moment. But let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for our church family and for this community and for what you're doing here and all the way around the world. And uh, Lord God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would meet us here right now in a very special way and that you would show us your love and you would grant us your wisdom as we look to the person of our Lord Jesus that we would uh, understand him more and appreciate how we can follow him through the power of your spirit. 
God help us in this endeavor. And uh, we ask that your spirit would move mightily, even right now, just in our midst here, knitting our hearts together still more tightly and helping us conform to the very image of your beloved son, Jesus. Make it so, we pray, and all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. All right, so some years ago, uh, Miss Krista and I were uh, speaking at a conference in uh, just outside of Krakow, Poland. And uh, after one of the sessions, a young Syrian pastor comes up to me and he says to me, he says, uh, can, we, can, can I sit with you at lunch? I said, absolutely. So we grab our food and we sit down at the table. And as we're sitting there, uh, he begins to uh, press me, ask me some questions about the theological tension between uh, Arminianism and Reformed theology, specifically between free will thinking and predestination, a real lighthearted lunch conversation, all right? And uh, I'm explaining to him some thoughts, giving him some, some uh, uh, learnings that I've uh, picked up along the way about how to process these sort of uh, challenges, these sort of tensions, and, and it was evident that he was uh, quite animated and, and not really liking what he was hearing. And at some point, I just said, listen, I want to encourage you to consider that there are some tensions we, we simply need to live within, that we just have to hold with open hands and humble hearts. And, and, and this, is, this may well be one of those tensions that we just, we need to live within. And I'll never forget this, right? He pushed his chair back, slammed his hand against the table right there. All the trays bounced. The whole room got really quiet. He stood up pointed a finger at me and yelled. He said, I can't live without this resolved. To which I said, you are going to be a most miserable man. I don't think he liked that very much. He walked out at that point. Uh, but it, it reminds me of something, right? And that's a bit dramatic, no doubt, but it reminds me of something. And that is that, that uh, our lives are full of tensions of all kinds, and tension is really hard to deal with at times. We don't like it. I will tell you straight up, I hate it. I hate dealing with tension. It's uncomfortable. It's draining. It's distracting. I just, I don't enjoy it. Some people seem to thrive on it. I don't really enjoy it at all. And tension is everywhere, however. We feel tension as we step into a new year that's got what? An election. We feel tension when we think about humble and godly women and men that are not in agreement about theological matters, or maybe even philosophies of ministry, approaches toward ministry. We feel tension when we think about what's going on in Ukraine or in Gaza. There's no doubt that we look at this past week at yet another school shooting, like what happened in Iowa, and tension just rises as we process all the things around such a tragedy. We feel tension uh, when families come together and, and they're arguing about generational or or economic or political or cultural or religious dynamics. 
It's uncomfortable when you're sitting at the table and such things happen. It's uncomfortable when you get that, that text or that email or that phone call from some family member who wants to just argue about any one of those things or more. And as I said a moment ago, we feel a lot of tension when the Vikings hit the field. I mean, there's tension everywhere, right? We feel it. There's no question about it. There's no question. I appreciate what author uh, Stacy Klinger has written about tension. Look here with me. You'll see it. The word tension typically evokes negative thoughts of stress, strain, or conflict. And she's right on, isn't she? We, we think of something that, that provokes tension in our lives and suddenly stress and strain. Uh, how many of us find that the, the, you know, some tension that erupts at home, man, we, we start feeling it in our stomachs, you know, the, the indigestion, the, the acid starts to build up, or we get that headache, the, the shoulders start tensing up. Uh, or you think about going into your place of work, wherever that is, and there's some kind of drama unfolding there, and, and, and there you are early in the morning, you're trying to get your game face on to go into work, and it's the last thing you feel like doing. You're just all wound up and stressed, and, and absolutely, totally makes sense. Tension is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, and so what we're prone to do uh, is avoid it at all costs. Uh, but maybe that's not the best thing either, right? And so I want you to really pay attention to these words here. I've, I've been thinking through this quite a bit. The discomforts of tension tempt us, right? Tempt us to denounce, to cancel. Have you ever heard the phrase cancel culture, right? That's, that's one of the big, big phrases. I mean, cancel culture, Taylor Swift, those are phrases that are dominating our culture today, all right? cancel culture, walk away. We, we, we want to denounce, we want to cancel, we want to walk away. And, but let me and keep that up there for just a second, guys. I want you to, what I'm about to read here, guys, I've been thinking about this for a long time, and it really weighs on me, all right? And, and I would invite it to, if I may, I would invite it to weigh on you as well. We need to ask ourselves, what does a propensity to denounce, cancel, and walk away from things that are tense what does that say about our discipleship, about our disciple making? What does it say about us as Christians? What does it say about what churches have been doing for decades by way of preparing people to live and engage in a complex world? What does this response say about our discipleship and how we are being formed as Christians? That is to say as, quote, little Christs. That's what the word Christian means, literally little Christs. And if we're just, oh, denounce that, cancel that, walk away here, what, what does that say about how we're being formed to be like Jesus? Okay, thanks guys so much for leaving that up there. All right, so, uh, you know, here's the thing. Uh, tension is necessary. You, know, you think about this, it's necessary. I want the heat of the flame on a cold winter's night but I sure must not burn myself. There's a tension there, all right? I, I need the heat, I want the heat. I actually like the look of a fire in the fireplace, but I certainly shouldn't stick my hand in there and move the logs around, right? There's tension. I've gotta live in this tension, all right? Oh, I, we, we want water to be fluid and soft, right? For sure, 
For sure, you wouldn't believe the money I spend for soft water at my house. My goodness, Plymouth water. Anyway, that's another story, all right? But, but here's the thing. We want water to be fluid, and yet we want it to be sufficient enough to hold up the canoe so it doesn't sink down to the bottom of the lake when we're on it, right? Uh, my, uh, a, a, a good friend of mine uh, reminded me of something that another friend of mine, Chuck Swindoll, had, had to write one time, and that is this. All right. Uh, he, he tells a story about these cod, these eastern cod. Uh, these are fish that swim right off of New England, and they're incredibly tasty. And uh, they're, they're a de- delicacy all over the world and certainly across places that are far from the East Coast. And so to transport them is a real challenge. And uh, originally it was let's freeze them and ship them. The problem is the freezing process eliminates the taste. And so, well, it doesn't make sense to have this delicacy show up, and because you have frozen it, it now has no taste to it. So then they put them in these tanks and ship them in seawater tanks across the world. Well, the problem there is that, that they're just sort of lethargic sitting in this tank as it's flying or being driven uh, from one point to the next, and the effect is that the meat becomes uh, mushy, and the taste also dissipates a bit, and so that doesn't work either. And one scientist decided, you know what we're going to do uh, to keep these fish strong and, and their, their taste uh, optimum? Uh, we're, we're going to we're gonna put predators in the seawater tanks with them. We're going to put some catfish. This is a natural predator of the cod. So they put these catfish in the tank, and then so as the tank is being uh, transported to wherever the destination is, uh, the catfish are moving around the tank chasing the cod, and the cod are swimming nonstop for days on end. And as a result, actually, by the time they reach their destination, they're stronger than when they were pulled out of the ocean, and the flavor actually increased, right? This is tension and the benefit of tension, because if you're a cod and you're looking over your shoulder and you see a catfish coming at you, you're going to move. And in this case, it makes you stronger. It makes you better. Tension can do that if we're willing to deal with it. And you know, the Lord Jesus uh, and the Scriptures, God, listen, God must like tension. There's a lot of tension in the Scriptures. In the unfolding drama of this book called the Bible, there's a lot of tension. So, for example, Adam and Eve, they've been given everything. Everything's perfect and good and wonderful, and their their parent is God himself. And yet they reject him and rebel against him. And as it were, walk away from him. Talk about tension. I gave you everything you might expect God should say. But what did he do instead? In the face of their rebellion, he moved toward them with love and with grace. And there's a tension there of we're we're rebelling and yet you're loving. And you've given everything and we're rebelling against you. And, And this sort of deal. We go forward, we come to this revered king, David. Talk about tension. David was a powerful warrior, but he was also an empathetic artist. He shed as many tears as he shed blood. This is a guy that had a tender heart, but a strong arm. And he could wield a pen to write a poetry that exalted God, and he could wield a sword 
to slay a Philistine who was coming at him. There's a tension there in that, right? We turn the pages of the Bible into the New Testament, and the whole world is very different than the old. Now you have Rome in charge of everything. Caesar, Caesar, Augustus is the great leader of the known world, that part of the world. And amongst the Jewish people, you had all these different sects. You had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and others you see all trying to figure out how to survive. They had to figure out how to get along in order to deal with the bigger tyrannical problem of Rome and Caesar. The political and religious complexity was over the top. And then it's in this world that Jesus arises. Look here at this comment about Jesus. I want you to see it. Creating, enduring, and even rising above tension is the way of Jesus. Now look at that again with me here, okay? Creating tension. Jesus did that. Enduring tension. He did that. Rising above tension. He did all of that. Hear me now, this is the way of Jesus. And if we're followers of Jesus, then we need to understand more of his process. We need to, what what was behind how he thought about this stuff? What did he do? How might we take our cues from him? Now we look at Jesus, and, and here's some things for us to consider. Thank you, gentlemen. We look at Jesus, and here's some things that we consider. So, for example, uh, Jesus is... Remember, he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's also the created. Talk about tension. Can you imagine Mary, the mother of Jesus? Here we are just days after Christmas. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the one he created, holding the one that created her. That's tension right there, right? Isn't that crazy to think about? Jesus is fully God and also fully man. He had to be fully man, by the way, to pay the penalty of our sinfulness because uh, we people are the ones who have sinned and, and we have to pay the price for this. But we don't have the capital to pay it, so he's also fully God because only God has the capital to pay the price that we have to pay. Right? That's why Jesus is fully God and fully man. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that, that though fully God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, making himself nothing, becoming a slave. Now that's tension right there. Fully God, fully man, creator, created. All right? And we can go on and on about, about the things that uh, are tensions created by Jesus. Uh, and, and we will look at a couple more here in a few moments, but let's go further into the New Testament. And we see Paul uh, and Barnabas, these two great apostles and leaders, and they're best friends, and they 
go across the Roman world and they're planting churches and sharing the gospel and, and the movement of Jesus is taking root among uh, Jews and Gentiles alike. I mean, this is incredible. The whole book of Acts gives uh, so many uh, beautiful stories, hard stories even, of what's unfolding. Uh, but, but one of those stories actually is the disillusion of that relationship. Because though they were such close friends and partners in ministry, they parted ways from one another because they could not agree on whether to give some immature young believer a second chance. That's tension. Any of you have relational tension in your life? Somebody, maybe a, a friend, a colleague at work, a a classmate at school, a family member, maybe the person you're sitting next to right now, you don't need to raise your hand. I can see it in your eyes. You're kind of blinking at me like, look at me, look at him, right? All right, so, I mean, but then also think of it this way, okay? There's also the tensions that we see in the New Testament, the cultural, racial, and ethnic tensions. Jews and Gentile believers, Jewish believers, Gentile believers. And what you might not realize, but is a key part of the entire narrative is, well, what kind of Jews? What kind of Jewish believers? Are they the Hellenistic Jewish believers, those who are influenced by Greco-Roman culture, or are they the Judaistic uh, Jewish believers, those who are influenced by the more traditional Palestinian culture, Jewish culture? Uh, or, or what about the Gentiles? Are we talking about about Gentile Christians that are slaves or Gentile Christians that are free. So there's cultural and, and, and racial and ethnic issues that are at play that are so intense, uh, even down to what appears to almost be a shouting match there in the book of Galatians between Peter and Paul. And, 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 but even within that, you go to these more micro levels where there's tensions among the Jewish believers, tensions among the Gentile believers. I mean, tension, 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 tension. And you know, tension's costly. I just referenced the relationships that, was, uh, that, that fell apart between Barnabas and Paul. It hurts when tension leads to loss, doesn't it? It hurts. And by the way, it's okay to grieve that. We need to learn how to grieve better as people, to lament. It's, it, we need to do this. We've got to do this. And this is one of the things we should grieve. But I want you to know, talk about loss. It cost Jesus his very life. You see, here's Jesus, right? Born of this virgin woman, Mary, lives a sinless, righteous life. But along the way, what is he doing? I want you to notice this with me. What is he doing? He is dining with sinners. A rabbi, righteous rabbi, dining with sinners? Tension. He is um, patiently engaging religious haters. He knows these guys have no use for him, and what's he doing? Meeting them in the middle of the night to have a quiet conversation about the redemptive plan of God how to be born again. He publicly affirms the Roman officials. My goodness, you mean he got political? Oh, for heaven's sake. Affirming the centurion right there in the town, saying if it belongs to Caesar, of course it's Caesar's. Talking about money. I mean, publicly affirming the Romans, that Romans were hated by the Jews, and yet there he is publicly affirming the Romans. 
He's aiding the untouchables, touching the leper, healing the man with the withered arm, seeing the legitimacy and the reality of a bleeding woman and affirming her publicly. And so, for these reasons and a host of others, he was killed. He was crucified. Why? Well, because he was a threat to the religious leaders. He was a threat to the Romans, ultimately. And he seemed to be a provocateur among the masses. Ah, listen to me, friend. Jesus created, endured, and even rose above all the tensions. He spoke about tensions in many of his teachings. And he certainly lived it, lived within it. One of the tension moments that stand out to me is found in John chapter 16, verse 33, a very famous verse. Look here with me at it. Jesus says to his disciples, by the way, this is the night in which Jesus is betrayed. He's, he's on his way to the cross, like within hours. But he's having dinner with his disciples. We'll talk more about that in a moment. He's having dinner with his disciples. And, and uh, here's what he says to them. In John 16, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. He wants us to have peace in him, so let's start there. And he goes on, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. How many can attest to that? Right? I know I can. This world's hard, isn't it? In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have difficult days. But notice what else he says. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And right here in this verse, and again, friends, if you guys will leave that up for a minute. Right here in this verse, we have this. We have uh, in this world, that's a now issue. Right now, in this world, right now. Tension, trouble, pain. Loss, grief, you name it. You can fill in the blanks better than I can. In this world, that's a now issue, but then there's a a not yet issue here. Take heart, I have overcome the world. There's something about victory that's going to come. And right here in this verse, we have the now issue of in this world, we're going to really struggle. But then there's the not yet. It's not yet come, but I'm overcoming. There will be victory. So now and not yet, right there. In that one verse. And within that now and not yet, what we have is this idea of of struggle, but then there will be triumph. We have this idea of of a, a lack of peace, but we can take heart. Wait, we can do all of that at once? Yes, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the tribulation, in the midst of the troubles right now, in the midst of the right now, with all the pain, we can also have peace. We can take heart. There's a tension there. And, and this tension and that peace that we can have is met by a triumphant Jesus who is overcoming and will overcome. But wait, he's overcoming, how come I've got so much pain now? If he's overcoming, how come things are so hard now? Right, that's part of the tension. But in the middle of it, he says to us, I will overcome and our 
takeaway from that is, and we can have peace. We can have confidence. We're not alone in the midst of whatever it is we're facing. Uh, Friends, hear me, please, here. With all of this in mind, with all of this in mind, please understand, it is not helpful. It is not helpful at all. It is not always helpful for us in the face of tension, particularly as Christians, to check out. It is not helpful for us to have a posture that denounces, that cancels, that rages, that takes names and keeps receipts and casts stones. It's not helpful for us Christians to live that way. It's not helpful for us to have anger or, or any angry or accusatory postures as Christians because the tensions get too great. Hear me, church. We need to be better than that. We need to be better than that. We need to rise above that. It's important for us to ask ourselves, well, tensions are real, they're hard. There, and there are many. And they're, they're really complex. Is my default to check out, walk away, throw stones, be angry, be accusatory? Might God have something that's better for me than that? Is there a course that's best against that? And what might that even look like? Well, what I want to do for a few moments here is give you four simple ideas, okay? And you might write them down or somehow take hold of them. Here's here's the first one. Accept tension as an opportunity. Now, I know that's crazy, but (laughs) accept it as an opportunity. Really? I can do that? But pastor, you don't understand. Listen, it is mythical that every tension must be resolved. Not everyone can be resolved. The world is too complex. Life is too complex. And so we can either resist it angrily and or dismissively and or check out and perhaps in so doing forfeit meaningful Christian witness to a watching world. Or we can decide here's an opportunity and we're going to engage it. And the Apostle Paul gives some helpful wisdom here. In Philippians chapter 4, he says, let your reasoned gentleness be evident to all. Did you hear that, church? Let your reasonableness, your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Why? Because the Lord is near. 
He's at hand. That's what the text tells us. This is the Apostle Paul here, right? This isn't Matthew. This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, look, let your reasoned gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. He goes on, he says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, and with what? Thanksgiving. Yeah, you know. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all the complexities of the mind, all understanding, all comprehension, all the complexities of the mind, the peace of God which transcends all the complexities of the mind will what? Will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. Friends, you and I don't need to be afraid of tensions. I'm not saying they're easy. I'm not saying that it wouldn't be hard or even painful or costly. Ask Jesus, it might cost you your life. But in the midst of it, you engage the opportunity and you <laughs> experience his peace because he will give you power to deal with it. Yes, he can do that. Speaking of which, here's the second thing. Here we go. Endure tension with wisdom, humility, and courage. James tells us in the book of James, if you want wisdom, ask, ask God and he'll give you wisdom. Just believe he'll provide it. And uh, so we need wisdom for things that are so complex and challenging and painful. But we need a posture that's humble. I love this. We have to have a humble posture, friends. Uh, listen to me. All right, please hear this, right? There's no question. There's the story for sure of Jesus turning over the tables, flipping the tables there in the temple because of a glaring act of injustice right there in front of him. No question about it. But when you look at the sum of Jesus' life, it is marked by a posture of gentleness. And as I said it a bit ago, in how he dealt with the sinner, how he dealt with the religious hater, how he dealt with the Roman authority, how he dealt with the untouchable. And you know, sometimes Jesus did step away from something and we might be tempted to say, see, he's escaping tension. No, 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 no. He's actually increasing tension. Uh, master, shouldn't we stay here because, because the people want you? No, I need to go on to other villages to still other people. Oh, master, where are you going? I'm going up on that mountain to pray. He, he created tension, friends. He engaged it with wisdom, with courage, courage, humility, grace. And we, we can do that. We need to do that. Uh, the word, the, the idea is that we, we engage it intentionally. We move toward the funk. And we do so with his wisdom. We do so with postures of humility. We do so with courage, right? And you may understandably go, Pastor, that's well and good, but I don't have it in me. And you know what? You're exactly right. And I don't either. We don't have it in us. 
That's why we turn to God. So here's the third thing, right? Be led by the spirit of the God, or the spirit of God and not the spirit of the age. Did you hear that? Be led by the spirit of God, not the spirit of the age. Uh, the, the spirit of the age tells you, be ugly, fight, throw stones, denounce, hold grudges, keep receipts, all the stuff. That's the spirit of the age. And lest you wonder if that's true, just go and scour your Facebook page and just see the vitriol or spend a few minutes on threads or Twitter or go hang out on the school bus and you'll hear, you'll hear what the spirit of the age tells us. Go listen to your favorite talking head on radio or cable news you'll hear the spirit of the age, fear-mongering and hate. And you know it's true. But the spirit of God puts forward this from Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. See, this is the attitude of God's Spirit. This is how spiritually minded people, people in tune with Jesus would live. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 that the Spirit of God produces this in our lives, this kind of blessing. But I say, Paul writes, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit, and many of you know this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul goes on and says, against such things, there is no law. Nothing can stand against that, guys. No tension can stand against spiritually-minded people bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Well, Jesus said it himself, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome. Because he's powerful. And he's good. All right, so here's... Speaking of him, here's the fourth thing. Keep your eyes on Jesus. In the midst of the tensions, keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Who endured it all. And he did so with wisdom and courage humility, and grace, and love, and patience, and power from on high. 
You see, this Jesus, he invites us to look to him in this. So much about him is tension. And he invites us. The night on which he was betrayed, I referenced it earlier. Oh, dear one, listen to me here. I want you to imagine with me this Jesus. Listen. On that night, he washed the feet of and dined with those who would later betray him and abandon him. That's tension. Loving them, knowing how they're going to treat him. He told them. He told him, this body of mine, raising some bread, he said, this is my body, broken for you. Eat of it in remembrance of me. Tension. He knew that for them to be made whole, he had to be broken. Though he had done nothing wrong or deserving of any penalty. That's tension. Jesus explained to his disciples that he was going to have to die. He shed his blood so they and we could be forgiven and clean. He told them, this, this is the blood of the new covenant. Drink of it as often as you will in remembrance of me. Tension. Wait. The old blood's not sufficient enough? No. Those lambs were fine, but the better lamb has come. Wait, but you're righteous and good and you've got to die? Yes, because if I don't, you can't live. Tension. But it isn't the end of the story, this death. In fact, even in the midst of the meal, Jesus offers these words. He says to them, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come. Wait a minute, how can a dead man come back? Because the grave won't hold him back. He's going to rise to new life. Tension, death, life. Righteousness for the unrighteous. Broken so we can be whole. The world is full of tensions. In this moment here, we partake of the elements and you should have them there with you. Confess any sin that might be lingering. Give glory to Christ Jesus for his goodness and laying down his life for you that you could be forgiven and free and have purpose and hope. And also just reflect on the tensions. 
And ask yourself, if this Jesus can live within all of that tension, how might I do likewise by his power and by his goodness? Lord, show me that. Because at the end of the day, I want to be like Jesus. Jesus.